All right, David, Chris Dixon episode. What'd you think, man? Yeah, it was really awesome to get Chris Dixon on. And I think my first takeaway, my first impression is that this is A16Z and A16Z is a tech company that is early in the internet. And so is, so is Chris. And so they come at crypto from that perspective. They come at it from a technological perspective. And I, we tried to broach this subject a couple of times uh, and it didn't really stick with him is the concept of money, store of value. Uh, and like, we didn't even bring up yield and ether because I don't think that's Chris, that's Chris's perspective. I think he sees this thing as a, as a technological breakthrough, which it is, but you know, muted on the monetary breakthrough, which I think is actually the bigger story, in my opinion. Well, uh, there were a few times in the conversation, right, where he said, like, hey, I might not understand the economics of this. This could be like the economic side of this. This could be a blind spot. Right. Mm-hmm. And there was another point in time where um, he talked about, like, sort of being bought into the Bitcoin, you know, store of value. Um, but not necessarily subscribing to the Nick Szabo social scalability idea, right. like that being the definition of scalability, which to me, it's kind of begged the question of like, well, then why do you believe in Bitcoin? Right. right. Mm-hmm. Because like the Bitcoin story, the reason Bitcoin is a store of value, according to, the, to, to him, is because Nick Szabo in this case, not in all cases, guys, but in this case, got it right. Right. Mm-hmm. There is this thing called social scalability and Bitcoin is actually scaling when people are holding it because there's more believers in it. Mm-hmm. And so it scales as a, as a store of value. And while he bought into Bitcoin as a store of value, he didn't necessarily extend the idea of social scalability to the rest of this new computer, as he called it. Right. Which is right. curious to me because what you and I would say in the bankless thesis is, um, is much more like, yeah, and Uniswap exhibits these same characteristics, right? Mm-hmm. Protocol sync thesis. Yep. Uh, and Ether exhibits these same characteristics. Mm-hmm. And Aave and Compound and uh, all of these things have more social scalability because they're more credibly neutral. So why don't you take the Bitcoin idea and extend it? But he was very focused on scalability is transactions per second. Right. You know? Yeah. Which... And- it, it is. It's still the right way. Well, not right. Right is relative. It's, it's not wrong. It's still an appropriate perspective. And using the the model of the protocol sync thesis to understand this, I, I view the protocol sync thesis as like a vortex or like a funnel or a black hole, right? Where it like goes really, really deep down and it's very, very vertical. But on the edges, it's flatter and it's wider and yeah. it reaches further. And, um, that's, and that's just the nature of like a funnel, right? And I think A16Z is really focusing and Chris Dixon is really focusing on that periphery, right? Like how is this technology, tech, technology going to scale to, you know, 4 billion people? And I think the protocol sync thesis is focused on where that, that, that scale collapses into and that scale collapses into money, right? It collapses into Bitcoin. Ether, the protocols that, you know, hold and store value and then, tr- and then manage value. But, but Chris is really focused on things that I think like, how will blockchain, quote unquote blockchain, like integrate with your mobile device, right? How will you impact, you know, how, what, what's the new app, the new killer app that will, everyone will download on their phone that is blockchain enabled. And to me, that's more on the margins, the periphery of the protocol sync thesis, which is really, really important because we need to expand the reach of how far the protocol sync thesis is. But I don't think A16Z is a protocol sync thesis investor. I think they are a technology investor. And I actually kind of think that's, I, I, I don't think it's a swing and a miss. I think it's a swing and a foul ball, yet they're still going to make plenty of money. 
Um, they, I think they're just missing kind of the money aspect. It's it's also possible that they're right and we're wrong, David. I mean, that's sure. always a possibility, right? But like, um, but I don't think so. <laughs> I think we're right. But like, so, and even the concept of economic bandwidth, right? Mm-hmm. Like didn't seem to be, so how we would think about scalability for these trust computers, for these blockchains. Um, and he did have a reasonable definition, I thought, like the, the idea of a blockchain as a computer that can commit, you know, a computer that you can trust mm-hmm. is something that we would resonate with uh, as well. But there are two types of bandwidth for this computer that you can trust. One is trustless mm-hmm. computer that you can trust uh, transactions per second. But the other is like uh, trustless um, capital, mm-hmm. trustless store of value, right? That element of economic bandwidth that makes Bitcoin valuable, that makes Ether valuable on Ethereum. He didn't kind of extend it extend it to that. And what I was curious about is because this is a, um, this idea is a much more crypto native way of thinking. And he did get it right on where he talked about the differences between like strong and weak technology mm-hmm. where you had like, um, like you had private intranets, internal internets to companies. And everyone thought that was a big deal, but the real big deal, that was the weak form, but the real big deal was the strong manifestation of this network technology, which is the internet. Like he got that part right, but I don't know if he connected all the dots. Um, and, and maybe it is the, the tech, the Silicon Valley bias. There's, right. there's long been, um, Bitcoin has talked about this a lot in the Ethereum to lesser extent, but there's long been this like idea that, um, Silicon Valley people don't really understand the, the money side of what's going on in the social movement. Do you think there was an, was there an element of that for you? Yeah, absolutely. And that is, that's an interesting perspective to bring. I think the people that really did get Bitcoin early on were the Austrians of all people, right? And cause that's kind of what really resonated with them. It wasn't, and, and Bitcoiners are very explicit about like blockchain is a means to an end to produce an asset that is capped with assurances about its cappedness, right? And that's the cool thing. And I think Chris is saying like, well, this blockchain that produces assurances can do things very, very, uh, in many more diverse ways, in addition to just the money that is capped. Yet the Austrians are like, well, the capped money is like one of the most revolutionary things of all time. And both are right. But I think both are focusing in different bounds. Like I said earlier, I think the attitude and perspectives of Chris and A16Z is pushing the fold. Whereas the Austrians and the protocol sync thesis and, and, uh, and, you know, the monetary bandwidth thesis is actually pushing that protocol sync thesis down and making it deeper because that's where you get those stronger and stronger assurances. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. But you know, what was right on the mark for me, uh, is this idea that we are disrupting capital coordination. Yeah. Right? Totally. Talked about, like, uh, th- this is near the end where we talked to, he, ta- he read a book called The Company about, um, the limited liability corporation and how that was like a, mm-hmm. a protocol level, legal level sort mm-hmm. of innovation that almost never gets talked about. But that was the thing that essentially spurred on the, you know, the, the 19th and 20th century, right? Mm-hmm. I think that to me was much closer to the mark yeah. for, um, how at least we think about things. And I've heard, uh, the placeholder guys like Chris Berninski. Talk about this a little bit mm-hmm. um, about the the idea that what we're doing here is we are essentially disrupting, innovating on, you know, capital coordination, and that layer is the the special sauce. That's what DeFi is to a large extent. Did you resonate with that part? 
Yeah. And when I, when I started listening to that part, uh, the first thing that came to mind was this book that I'm in the middle of called Your Next Government. I believe a bankless, uh, bankless citizen in the discord recommended it to me. Um, I'm only a third of the way through it, but the first chapter already compelled me so, so much when it's, and when it talked about, um, and, and I've also kind of retracted my, not, not anti, but my resistance to na- the nation state because the thesis of the book is that the, a very strong and dependable rule of law is the most valuable thing that humanity has ever come up with. Uh, and they, it uses evidence to say that, you know, it, with nations that have a citizenry that respect the rule of law and governments that can adequately enforce rule of law is our turnout to be the most valuable industries and the value, most valuable economies. And that's where that's the, they, they cite the United States as a nation that produces strong rules of law. And that's when capital can form when there is rule of law. And so that's cool. That's why the United States is so, so incredibly valuable, I guess. And I, I extended that to Ethereum because Ethereum is a smart contracts platform that uh, I think Chris would say is a computer that can make commitments. And what is mm-hmm. law other than commitments? And so Ethereum as a rule of law platform, which are what smart contracts are, should be able to give us the strongest that just in the same way that Bitcoin produces the strongest assurances about a currency, Ethereum produces the strongest assurances about any contract. And according to the thesis of the book, those strongest enforceability and assurances that a contract will execute as you expect it to is the, the most valuable thing that humanity has ever come up with. That is where my mind went that we didn't exactly, I don't think we had time to get into it with Chris. And I'm not sure he would even be the right guest to discuss that. But I think that's a future topic of a future Bankless podcast. Oh yeah, dude. I think that there is so much to unpack there. What's the name of that book again? I gotta, I know you told me about it before. Your Next Government by Tom Bell. Your Next Government. And it's Uh, all about kind of your next government question mark. Oh, okay. It's all about like nation state and how they're organized. Is it like, does does it have, does it, does it have a particular like bent? Is it, you know, pro nation state or is just this like the history of nation states kind of thing? Um, it's, uh, it's not pro nation states. I think it does a pretty good job of being neutral. Um, but it def, it definitely is pro the fact that nation states created capital, uh, and capital is a very valuable thing intrinsically, obviously. Um, yeah. and, and so I'm, like I said, I'm only one third of the way through it. And so I still have a lot more of digging to do. Yeah. So, okay. So, uh, back to Chris Dixon episode, what, what else were some of your takeaways? Like, um, I was interesting that he, is now on board with Bitcoin mm-hmm. being a store of value, but previously wasn't. Mm-hmm. And possibly that was, uh, and I give him huge credit for like, you know, talking about this. He's like, man, maybe I have blinders on because, mm-hmm. uh, because I'm in technology and I've just seen Silicon Valley. It seemed like he, he is saying I had blinders on early on about the value of Bitcoin. Now I don't. Now I think it's a, a store of value, but he wasn't necessarily willing to extend that to ether as an right. asset. Yeah. We didn't really go down that rabbit hole with him. And I think that was a wise choice. I don't think that was the right conversation to, to have with Chris, but yeah, he said that, you know, I think Bitcoin will dominate in market cap. And I think that that's not something that you or I are ready to, uh, to commit to. I don't see Bitcoin. I'm not ready as, to com- capitulate yet. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, I don't see Bitcoin as the dominant market cap. Uh, I mean, his, historically, obviously that's been the case. Whether that's true into the future, I think that is completely unwritten, right? Like we have, like, like we've been saying on the Bankless podcast and, and so far in, in this conversation now is 
the biggest revolution is the money aspect and the value aspect, the capital aspect. Uh, and that is a revolution that um, is 12 years old with, with Bitcoin and six years old with Ether. But even Ether is still not in its final form of what it can do. Uh, I think that story is ahead of us. Uh, and I think that maybe if we have Chris, uh, Chris Dixon back on the podcast and the Bankless podcast and maybe two years, three years after Ether has matured, uh, he did, he did talk about Lindy and I did agree with him with his Lindy conversations that, you know, at some point you just need these things to be old in time. Uh, I think that same thing is true with Ether. I think Ether just needs to become older. It needs to fulfill its promises and then, and then continue to fulfill them for years. And then I think Chris will say, that I capitulated on Bitcoin as a store of value, as a unique thing separate from technology. And then I also capitulated on Ether too. You think he will, huh? Ether I, as a store I, of value? I, that's, what, that's where my bags are positioned to believe. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what did you think about his perspective on, um, on talent? I thought this was interesting, right? So um, first of all, the idea of cycles in his article, you know, he, he totally sees there's a 10 X in talent mm-hmm. recycle. Mm-hmm. And I think Andreessen Horowitz has been super successful because they've made bets on talent, right? They've made mm-hmm. early investments and started talented teams. Um, but his comment was like, Hey, this, maybe it's the early stage of this fourth cycle, but I'm not yet seeing people from like Google and Facebook, you know, coming to me and emailing me being like, Hey, what's this DeFi thing? Right. Mm-hmm. Not seeing that where my head went was like, but maybe Chris, you're not looking in the right places. Mm. Right. So like, I, I was just thinking about that uh, series we did with crypto native, uh, like, you know, founders mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. Um, Ave, Kane, um, uh, Robert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, they came out of very unlike, uh, aside from Robert last year, they came mm-hmm. out of very unlikely places in the world. And mm-hmm. I almost wonder if, um, that's where we're going to see like Andre, like, mm-hmm. right. Uh, you, you think Andre from YFI, by the way, go check out that conversation. It's a really good one. Uh, if you haven't listened to it, but like, you think he's ever going to knock on the door of Andreessen right. Horowitz and be like, hey, what should I do in DeFi? Mm-hmm. No way. And, and also, I don't think in its current form, A16Z is is set up to gain exposure to some of the work that Andre has produced. We talked about with with Chris, They can, can you guys invest with an anonymous founder? Like, are you guys interested in that? And then he kind of alluded to what I think makes sense is that in the case of an anonymous founder, Andre isn't completely anonymous, but he kind of fits the bill. You have to invest in tokens because how can you invest in equity? How can you invest in equity in a sushi swap swap thing? There is he no got equity. that right totally. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is is I think that's a big takeaway for for me and for the listeners is that if you want to maximize, if you're a fund or maybe just an individual and you want to maximize exposure to the growth of this ecosystem. Equity is not the place because how do you have equity in, in so many of the food tokens, which I think I'm, I think we should all be skeptical of, but still take lessons of that. You know, you don't need a company that his, his uh, message that, you know, this is a new revolution in the ability to coordinate capital. And that's specifically outside of equity. That's specifically outside the LLC. And that's, it must be therefore inside of tokens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I do think he, he kind of nailed that aspect of it. And, um, yeah, I, I agree on kind of the token front. Um, he didn't have too much to say about regulatory headwind or tailwind, but his partner, Katie Hahn, who, um, like co-runs the crypto fund is just phenomenal on this. Um, and so I think A16Z is doing a lot, David, like behind the scenes, talking to regulators 
and fighting this, this fight and like hats off to what they are doing. Cause this is important work that, um, like we have guests like Jake Travinsky on who's in the trenches fighting this, but, um, like lawmakers tend to listen to large capital right. firms with- like a 16 with, with who could speak legal, who can play that game. And we didn't talk about it too much, but I think these guys are really fighting the good fight. And we like, we need more of that. This part of crypto's evolution, getting a 16 Z and their 800 million plus in funds mm-hmm. on crypto's side is hugely valuable in this battle against the, uh, you know, the boss, <laughs> as we say so often. By the time listeners are watching this video, our Bankless newsletter uh, release about 2021 predictions will have come out. And one of the uh, topics of conversation was with, and one of the questions you asked Chris was regulatory, regulatory environment, tailwinds or headwinds. I want to get your take on that here, Ryan. What do you think it's, uh, do I think it's going to be worse? Yeah. Like bad, yeah, do you, bad do you year think it, or a good year? Uh, yeah. Do you think regu- the regulatory environment of 2021 is going to hold uh, crypto back and per, you know, even more specifically Ethereum and Bitcoin, or is it actually going to propel us? I, I don't, I think we're going to have some hiccups and we could have some hiccups, mm-hmm. but um ultimately, so, you know, I told you when we were like writing that predictions, like David, I have a hard time with the one year predictions mm-hmm. and I feel like I have an easier time with the 10 year predictions. So mm-hmm. let me start with like the 10 year prediction. I feel like on the 10 year uh, prediction that the U S and Western nations, like, like liberal democracies, if we haven't descended into authoritarianism <laughs> are going to like wake up and realize that uh, China's strategy for a central bank digital currency is like a good strategy for China. And that the only way Western liberal democracies can compete against that strategy is to embrace openness. Um, like that's what the internet has been. That's why it's been a boon to the world, frankly, is because it's been open and permissionless and not owned by anyone. So I think they're going to embrace Ethereum, basically. Mm-hmm. I think the U.S. specifically is going to realize that if it wants to maintain its dollar supremacy, which it does, right. it doesn't need to build its own blockchain and authoritarian Fed coin essentially, um, as our friend Rowan Gray, like might want to do, um, it needs to embrace Ethereum and use that as the, the open layer of value transmission. So that's the 10 year, David. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm optimistic that that 10 year will play out. Now there will be bumps in the road because, uh, quite frankly, we have a lot of boomers, uh, love boomers every time, every time I say it, parents are boomers, God bless them. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of people that don't understand this technology in Congress and government. And, uh, there's some people, frankly, that are, um, anti this technology, right? For, for other reasons as well. And so there could be some speed bumps like this year, next year with the, and somebody like Jake Travinsky has a way better pulse on like individual people who could be, uh, roadblocks to this in government. Um, so there's a fair chance we see some of those bumps in the next couple of years in this cycle, but I don't think there will be anything that really kind of stops the momentum here. And long-term that 10 year, I think it turns out well for us. 
It's my take. Yeah, yeah, I would agree for that. There is a very strong interest for the United States to export the brand of the dollar. And it's already arrived inside of Ethereum. Stable coins are dominating in Ethereum right now. Uh, I don't see how the digital, the, anyone, there's no demand, global demand for the yuan, right? It's forced upon the, the people that use it by the, by the centralized entity of, of China, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that, that the United States has the lead and all they need to do is not F it up. Yeah, yeah. And at, at some levels, we, we talked about the Ethereum economy so much and DeFi being its own economy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the U.S. wants, if they value dollar supremacy, which they do, if they stop mm-hmm. and really think about it, then they want, actually want the dollar to be supreme in the Ethereum economy too, right? Right. Like mm-hmm. they want it to be the, uh, the unit of account. They want stable coins imported into that foreign economy. Um, so... Maybe that I think they'll wake up and, and like realize that that's in their best interest and probably do that. But yeah. um, not to derail the conversation from the, the Chris Dixon podcast. I wanted to get that, that quick take in here. Yeah, everyone should go uh, read that, uh, that newsletter piece that came out in Bankless. Yeah, absolutely. Any, any, any last comments on the uh, Chris Dixon podcast? You know, it's just a great episode. Chris, Chris is the guy that, um, uh, you know, wrote an article that I read. I think it was like 2012, 2011 or 12. Uh, the next big thing will start out looking like a toy. Mm-hmm. And um, that perfectly describes where DeFi is right now. And I think he he totally sees that, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, a lot of people dismiss DeFi as they did with Bitcoin as being kind of like, you know, like Bitcoin is play money. It's not real money. Come on, David, right? It's like DeFi, it's not real finance. It's just a bunch of DGENs gambling and, and speculating. These are the it's toys that they dismiss. <laughs> it's true right now. Right. Um, but the next big thing, every big thing like that started out in the same way. So, um, Plus we just saw regulation come in and say banks can use public blockchains to transfer and settle payments between each other. Right. Yeah. Now, what to me, a USDC transfer from one bank to another, that's, that's DeFi. Like count it. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. So like Chris is like a legend in my mind because he has these fantastic, like mental models that he he's written about. So I'm, I'm just really excited that we had an opportunity to, uh, to talk with him. And, and quite frankly, A16Z is one of the largest crypto funds, right? Like in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, real honor to, to talk to him, but, um, uh, but yeah, I think we do at the end of the day, probably have some different perspectives, right. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of what this technology is and, and how it scales and, um, and I think that's, I, I think it's just a perspective. I think A16D, A16Z and, and, and Chris are, like I said, focused on the periphery. And I think the bankless thesis is just focused at the core. And those are just two different, you know, people, somebody has to focus on the periphery and somebody right. else has to focus on the core. Like they're just, they're just choose to focus on the periphery. Right. Totally. And like, um, I think any good investor, uh, adapts their strategy in the face of, alternate evidence and Chris is super open-minded. So uh, I think as more information comes in and if more of the bankless thesis proves to be right, I bet we'll see him adapting as we should adapt. If it turns out that like we are wrong mm-hmm. and like transactions per second matters a whole lot more than some of the other things that we emphasize. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely good to, uh, to talk to someone like Chris um, just like a, a legendary investor in the space. So. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Hope you guys enjoyed this recap. This is what you get when you subscribe to the Bankless Premium subscription. So I hope you're enjoying this premium content. You can get it on the YouTube. The private It's a private video on YouTube, and you can also get it in your premium podcast player feed. Ryan, anything to add there? 
All you have to do is become a Bankless member and we will publish this to you after every episode that we do. These are really the conversations, David, that you and I have uh, post-episode and you get inside access to them. So um, it'd be great to have you along for them. Cheers.